are back in the football shed, the weekly podcast for football fans that live in the wrong time zone, like we do. My name's John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Is it Jeff King or is it Jane Dixon? It's coming up as Jane Dixon. <laughs> well, it does say on Zoom that Jeff is Jane Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, is Jane Dixon, your first ever football shed. <laughs> uh, hello, by the way. Hi, Rog. Uh, how are we all coping with our isolation? Is it is it normal now? That's yeah. all right, isn't it? Find, finding the groove, I'd say, slowly finding the groove. Nice, nice. Drinking um, more than I normally would. Drinking more I, than normally I would. can't at the moment, which is killing me. Why? Well, Ali told me I had to stop. Because I have to drive to the hospital at any given moment. Because oh, for those who don't know, Roger's wife is pregnant, about to have their third baby. Very inconsiderate. <laughs> so, Rog, shall I bother asking you what beer you're drinking this evening then? Uh, I have a um, Bodrigi Cosmic Microwave Northeast IPA. So that's that's the not drinking beer, is it? Yeah, it's only it's about seven percent, I think. <laughs> <laughs> One small can of seven percent beer will be okay. <laughs> um, Jeff, what are you drinking? Oh, just the furfies? Just getting through a bit of furfies? Furfies. Yep. I've got the uh, delicious Audi wine back oh. in stock at Audi. Not going anywhere. Everything's okay again. Um, every week we'll start with a question, but before we get started, I'll just do my bit of admin. If you want to get in contact, ask us a question, tell us we're wrong about something, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. And of course, tell your mates so more people can hear us talk nonsense over the internet. This week's question, because we know it's strange times and slightly odd, is a bit of a meatier question. So it's a team question between the two of you. Can you name the 16 Premier League managers to have managed more than 300 Premier League games? Oh, 16... Managers. Yes. Okay. Sam Allardyce. Correct. Sam Allardyce is fifth. Fergie. Fergie is number two. David Moyes. Number four. Uh, Arsene Wenger. Number one. Alan Pardew. Correct. Number Pardew. 320 games he's managed. Uh, Rafa Benitez. Correct, 340. Um, um, missing number who's, three. Who's the um, old fat goggly cheeks who <laughs> managed Pompey and Spurs? What's his name? <laughs> old fat gog- goggly cheeks. <laughs> you know, transfer day mastermind. Whoa, I can't, I've got no brain today. Rog, come on, you must know who that is. Oh, uh, <laughs> Harry. Yeah, Harry's in there. there. <laughs> yeah, Harry's number three. Um, you got, got Arsene Wenger, Fergie, Redknapp, Moyes, Allardyce. That's your top five. Who else have we got? Um, Think of the old white man brigade. Uh, Roy Hodgson. Correct. 318. Tony Pulis. Correct. 322. Eddie Howe? No, not Eddie Howe. Roger, I feel like you're not really contributing here. This is a no, team he's game. Crap, Jane Dixon's winning by miles. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't know. My brain's not on it for some reason. Uh, um, Jose Mourinho. 
Let me concentrate. Maria, yes, 322 games. Come on, Rog. There's two ex-Main United players in there. Steve oh, Mark Bruce. Hughes. Yeah, Mark Hughes and Steve Bruce. <laughs> I'm slightly surprised at Potato Face Steve Bruce. I suppose there's Birmingham. He's season. the list. How many wins in 20 games? Um, who else is there? Um, Sunderland, Aston Villa. Peter Reid. No. Martin O'Neill. Yes. Uh, Martin O'Neill, of course. So you got one, two, three, four, five left. Um, ah. Just Premier League. Um, Kevin Keegan. No. Nah, but yeah. this one of these managers did manage Newcastle. Claudia Ranieri. No. Oh, good guess. Wrong. Definitely wrong, but good guess. Um... There's a Charlton manager in there. Alan Kirby. Yes. And Newcastle manager, you said. Yeah, there's a Newcastle manager. Rude Hullet? No. No. A random Newcastle manager. Is he the one who got Newcastle United you know, promoted from the championship back to the Premier League? Uh Chris H- Chris Hutton? Nope. Give us another clue, John. Uh there's a West Brom and Stoke manager. That's not Tony Pullis. Oh yeah, no Tony Pullis. We haven't had We've Tony had Pullis. him. Oh really? Well, you've yep. got him. Uh, well, there's only th- three left. Yeah. Go on, pay it, pay it out. Graham Sunis. Ah. Uh, Roy Hodgson. We said Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson. Oh, there's only two left then. Bloody hell, John. There's a lot to remember. Graham Sunis. <laughs> and and last on 302, who's the random Newcastle manager? Joe Kinnear. Really, joking? Yeah. Wow, he was at Wimbledon for a long time. Yeah, yeah, but there was no. That's not Premier League though. Wimbledon is it? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I suppose early Premier League. Uh. There you go. That there is go. the sixteen managers to manage. There's a few there that surprised me. I didn't think Charlton had enough seasons there for Kirbishley to be. Well, because he went to West Ham afterwards. You West West Ham, yeah. True. What was the cut off? How many games? Joe Kinnear was the last, was he? Yeah, three hundred and two. Three hundred and two. Amazing. Good question. Solid. Yeah, Solid I like start. that, John. Question. So this week, um, we're not going to do a best of 11 because there's been a fair amount of news happening actually in the football world. Not real football where people kick balls around and we all watch it and have a great time. Um, but there's been lots of words like furlough that no one knew a month ago um, being banded around. Uh, so we decided that we're going to talk about what's actually happening in the football world. Is there anywhere you want to start? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that we're all fucked. Yes. I, I think I've said that um, progressively more with more confidence for the last six <laughs> weeks or so. I think the first time we mentioned the coronavirus, I was like, yeah, we're all fucked and no one realises it yet. Yeah, we're laughing less now. Roger and I last used to just laugh at you and now we're like, oh, maybe Jeff's talking sense. Yeah, because, so, okay, so there's been a lot of... Um, no. Say again, Rog? I just said no, you never talk sense. <laughs> oh damn it okay well let me let me just kind of walk you walk you through something so that there's been a lot of um talk this week about the financial impact of the premier league not finishing okay now now if you're a regular listener to the, listener to the shed you will have heard us 
talk through the finances of some clubs, the finances of West Ham, the finances of, of Bournemouth. This is before any of this ever happened. We, we spoke about how how thin their finances were. And, and when we look at football clubs, you know, we, we view them as big business. But you know, I mean, you, you've heard these stats before that, the, the, you know, apart from the top six financially in the Premier League, the a football club makes the same as a very big supermarket. That's it from, from their inbound and outbound revenue. So they are a small to medium-sized company. And a small to medium-sized company, when you starve them of their revenues, they go bust. That's just no matter how much kind of emotional connection you have to a football club, remove it from football, this is what is going to happen. So you look at a club like um like Bournemouth, you starve them of their gate receipts, starve them of their revenue, and they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to survive. So you think, okay, well, where's the money coming from? It's the TV deals. So this week the the big talk has been whether the if the Premier League does not start back again, whether the TV money will be rescinded. So whether the last I think the quote is just upwards of 700 million pounds that in total Premier League clubs would have to pay back to the television broadcasters and that really just made me is that the clubs me, that pay it back or is that the Premier League that pay well, the like how- clubs have been paid their portion of that money so the Premier League is the one that sells these packages and then they they divide it up as they see fit to the clubs depending on yeah. how many games are on television so the clubs have, been, have borrowed against that Right, so they get paid that every season. At the end of the year, they get paid the TV money, but they borrow against this year's TV money at the beginning of every year. So essentially, it's the clubs that need to pay it back. So they've already borrowed against that finance. So we look at the um, the seven hundred million pounds, right? So let, let's talk about why that's significant first before whether this is going to happen. Um, that's a lot of money. Now, if you budget your income against something and borrow against it no matter how big a company you are then someone starves you of that or you get starved of that incoming revenue you're fucked you're absolutely fucked especially if there is um a bit of uh concern about whether that revenue will ever exist again you know whether it's phantom revenue look at the value of teams if there is no if football is starved of money the transfer value of players decreases and you secure loans against the value of your first team you know which means that does this is this phantom money ever going to be worth the same as the phantom money was before? So perhaps your debt is worth more than your value already, let alone if you, if you are stopped from making income. So let's look at where the TV money comes from. TV money comes from TV companies who want your product. Rupert they want to put your product, which is the Premier League, on their stations. Now, they do so because they charge advertising on their stations. Now, they as with anything, we'll have an equation of going, we will make more than it costs. That's that's how all of this works. And so they subscriptions, make, Jeff. Of course. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll get to subscriptions when it comes to things like uh, Netflix and stuff because of the way the media world is changing. But you, you view your own equations like you're going to get more from advertising than you will spend on buying the thing that you want to advertise on, which is why BT Sport and uh, Sky TV and Fox Hill in Australia and ESPN – buy these packages because they will make more out of the money they'll get in from advertising than they'll spend on the packages, which is why the packages are worth so much money because the, they get so much money from advertising because the viewing figures are so high because products want to sell people things that associate certain products with something that they like. So that's how the whole, whole system works. When the things start falling apart is when you can't make more from your adverts than you spend on your product. 
So the TV deal for the Premier League is not variable. You know, it doesn't it doesn't uh, live and die off whether your the Premier League is worth that much money anymore. It doesn't. You, you you've signed it. They've signed it for another two years. The television deal is because they've assumed that the Premier League will only ever be worth more. It's going to go to more countries. It's going to be more amazing, and and you know it's great, which is absolutely phenomenal for the money that's been coming in. However, if advertising value goes down, suddenly your equation is wrong. Now, if fewer people are watching your station, then your advertising isn't worth so much. Now, this week was the first time in the United States that Netflix, I'll use the United States as an example, that Netflix made more, had more viewers than ESPN. Wow. Now, that is a very, very significant moment because the, the media consumption in the United States right now is streaming. It's not, you know, pay-per-view TV. Sport was keeping has been keeping pay-per-view TV alive for the last five years. Now, take sport away, which is essentially what's happened. All you're having is people doing what we've done for the last few weeks and doing like best of 2000 and whatever or most awesome 11, you know. But there will be a certain point where the consuming public will just be a bit fed up of watching great goals from 2010. And you get it yourself as a, you know, as a sporting consumer – I'm, I'm a bit fed up of watching Best Goals from 2010 and I want new sport. So I have no inclination to watch these channels because all I'm doing is getting old things I've already seen regurgitated back at me. You might as well watch old Simpsons episodes and enjoy it, which means the advertising space on those forums is worth less. Now, I know in my own industry, you know, without giving too much away, but I know I've been offered advertising space literally nothing so they can keep sectors of newspapers alive. Now, there have been newspapers in Australia that have actually completely removed whole sections of their newspaper because there is no one paying for advertising space to, to focus on that, that periodical. So if advertising space has dropped below what they're spending on the Premier League, then they have a serious question about whether they want to continue with that product. It's not about the emotion of football. It's, a, it's about whether that financially makes sense. Now, because the Premier League is now no longer offering the Premier League, they are within their rights to just completely cancel their contracts. We have a huge problem that will waterfall down and trickle into all aspects of British football. So then does that mean we're looking at a point where uh, Premier League clubs could go bust? Are you saying that we could see the Burnleys and Norwiches of this world go bust? Or is this more going to be the lower leagues? Um, or yeah, what is it yes. going to happen at the top? For, uh, again, you, you're going to be sick of me saying this stuff, and then like in three weeks, I, I think I'm right that there will be <laughs> by the end of if this situation goes on for another few months. Basically, if the Premier League doesn't come back this season, if it goes right, right it off, start again next year. It, in fact, that doesn't even matter. If this lasts more than three or four more months, we will get to a point where a Premier League club will go bust without a shadow of doubt. They are some paper thin finances unless they get creative. One of the things West Ham are doing this year, this week, have you seen? They're selling shares. They're, they're selling shares of West Ham back to the fans. They're trying to generate revenue. That's a very clever way of generating revenue in a time where there's no cash flow. But essentially, this is a point where cash flow is king. You know, how much money you have in the bank will keep you alive till, during the period when no revenues are coming in. But we don't. You don't think that um, we're seeing with other industries. Uh, and with society in general, potentially a move towards a more socialist system when it suits our governments to do so, which is essentially <laughs> when, you know, the situation is as it is now and everybody's fucked. And do you, I mean, I, 
when you get up to the Premier League, I wonder, will they let it get that far or will there come a way where essentially finance is provided from somewhere to to, to, to cover it? And I don't necessarily think that's right, but I think that's what will happen because I think the other thing that's important to think about here is that this is not a permanent situation. Yes, things are pretty shit right now, but we are, whether even if we're talking about months, as soon as sport comes back, it goes to being worth just as much as it was before. See, I, I disagree. I absolutely disagree because the, the landscape will have changed. But why, why will it be, if the same amount of people go back to watching the Premier League... You're saying it's based on numbers. The advertising revenue is based on numbers. Why, if it goes back to the same number of people wanting to tune in and watch the Premier League, why will it be worth less? Because, because we're, we're not sitting in a bubble here. So, so, okay, let's say in Burnley they can't um, they they can't pay their bills because they've got no gate receipts. But they've got a ten, after this, there's a ten percent unemployment uh, in Burnley because whatever companies have gone bust or moved elsewhere where they could sustain a workforce. That means people aren't going to be, you know, football is a discretionary spend. Yes, it means something to you, but you're not going to spend £40 on a ticket every single, uh, every other Saturday just to go. That is a massive problem for a club like Burnley. I also think that when the Premier League is not in isolation, so when I talk about first-team squad values, they will massively depreciate after this because a player is only worth what someone is willing to pay for them. And we all know that when a club is in financial crisis, people un- people lowball. Clubs lowball all the time just to just to just to get players through the door. So I, I believe that. Well, maybe it comes back to more more reality. Like I think the Premier League has been in this um, outer space bubble for years now, where it's just not real. We talk about it. We've almost stopped talking about transfer fees. John's one of your pet subjects. Yeah. We, we, you can't get angry about it because it's just not real. It's not real money. So maybe what something like this does is it actually brings the Premier League more in line with, you know, society and values go back but to something like what they should yeah, be. In isolation, that's fine. But the thing is they built up their business structure to be in the bubble, which means that they have debts and they have borrowed against assets that rely on that bubble still exists. Well, this is this is where the whole system falls down. This is why our, why we're fucked because our capitalist system relies on continuous growth, which is not possible. You can't unless you keep growing to the point we're already destroying our planet. But you know, unless you keep growing, then at some point your revenue under this system does have to stop. Or change so maybe this is what we need to do that to, to reset but I don't think in terms of the Premier League in isolation it will be yes yes there'll certainly be some impact and like all like all these things the most impact is generally felt by the poor people that are near the bottom of the pyramid rather than in the rarefied air at the top of the Premier League and I don't I do think as far as the Premier League's concerned it will get back to somewhere near normal a lot quicker than some other things will and a lot quicker than everyday people will. I do think though, because of this, we could end up having a cheap player fire sale. So there could be clubs going, Oh crap. We really need to get rid of Dwight McNeil from Burnley. And suddenly they're playing, selling Dwight McNeil for 2 million instead of 20 million. They could have got for him. 
it's, that is inevitable, John, because because they will need to service their debts. Remember, financial fair play isn't on how much you make; it's how much you're allowed to lose. But that I think model. with the but with the Premier League, I think you would end up in a scenario because as soon as it's because it's still even if it's worth a bit less, Jeff, when it comes back, it is still as a product going to be worth a huge amount of money. So if a club in the Premier League is really struggling to the point where they're going to be fucked, then I think somebody would see that as a sound investment to come in because they can buy it for nothing, and then be in the Premier League and almost yeah. there's going to be more hunger for the Premier League because I'm desperate for live sport so as soon as it comes back I'm going to be more appreciative of watching Burnley v yeah. Norwich at 3am yeah. in the morning more than ever because I can't it, wait to watch it <laughs> I hope so but we were looking at clubs that were financially fucked already we were looking at clubs that had wage bills that were 85% of their turnover now you can't afford to pay that pay those wages if you have no turnover it just isn't possible. Now, if you are... Do you think they'll selling, get bailed out? Like, if you are selling a product and there is no one there to buy your product and people just stop buying it for months and months and months, which is essentially what's happening in football right now, you will go bust. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. And the only reason why we view it differently is because of the, the social attachment and the emotional attachment we have to these companies. They are businesses. But you don't, think they'll, you don't think they'll get bailed out? By who? Before we go on to the bailed out Government, question, Premier League. Yeah, no, the, 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 I don't. Why would you bail out a football club? They, they you don't. Um, they make profits. You know, they don't profit share. You only bail out a football club if you're part of a, a socialist footballing pyramid, which we're absolutely not. The fact that you can make millions, spend millions on players, means that you're fucked when you're fucked. You know, you make hay while the sun shines, and when you're fucked, you're on your own. And that, that's the, that's the way the capitalist system works. On the bailing out question, and not really about bailing out but around the moral responsibility of football there's been a lot of talk this week around the players um and the government in the uk have come out and gone oh premier league players should pay some money um we saw liverpool say that they were going to apply for the furlough option from the government and ask them to cover 80 percent of wages for their lower income employees um, and then everyone kicked up a fuss, so they reversed it, which was good. Spurs, Newcastle, Bournemouth and Norwich are still applying. Um, Bournemouth and Norwich, I can understand to a point, but Spurs and Newcastle are owned by billionaires um, who have huge amounts of money and don't pay tax, basically. Um, where Where do we stand on what the moral responsibility of a football club is first and then maybe a footballer as an individual i'm just going to give you some more numbers here as well before i because i wanted to rant on this subject but i'm going to give you some numbers <laughs> so uh bournemouth they're the the roughly the net worth of their owner is about 100 million yeah. um norwich the major shareholder is delia smith and her husband worth about 40 million uh Liverpool, which is Fenway Sports Group owned by John Henry, 2.7 billion. Mm. Liverpool themselves are the seventh richest club on the planet in terms of their turnover as a club, but their owner is obviously also worth a huge amount of money. Uh Mike Ashley, about the same, 2.7 billion. Spurs, this guy called Joe Lewis. Yeah. Um so he's, he's an like, enigma. 
the yeah the faceless man who lives in the Bahamas um, and lets levies the hatchet man that does all his dirty work for him five billion he's worth, which is an obscene amount of money. Um, so I I agree with you what you were saying, John. I I do think that you have to look at whether they're applying for the furlough scheme in terms of where they're at as a as a club and also what their owners are worth because at the end of the day that's where it's coming from and I think one of the biggest questions that and I think I looked at it Kyle Walker this week a sex right? party let's have a sex party with prostitutes although but, is, is it called a sex party when there's only three of you is that just a threesome Threes, but you know that just typifies like footballers often don't help themselves right they make themselves <laughs> easy targets and we we love football but you know in england it's everything and so of course footballers are very visible it doesn't help when um you know you get politicians that you know also just sprout that because they think that that's there again because they're an easy target whereas i mean i i think it's an absolute disgrace that the tory party can say something like that because the whole tory party philosophy is built on looking after one percent of the population whilst at the same time putting up a smoke screen so that enough people vote for you so you can keep looking after the one percent of people so i just think it's a disgrace that they can do that and i think there are a huge amount of other professions in the UK, particularly things like the finance industry, that are getting no focus in this and are in the same position. There are 2,000 billionaires in the world, 2,095 billionaires. Nobody needs a billion dollars. That's in dollars, dollar figure. No one needs a billion pounds. No one needs a billion dollars. It's stupid. That's 1,000 million. You know, we're, we're talking about the world being fucked and people losing their jobs while other people still have a billion dollars in the bank and are still getting richer. Joe Lewis made his money from currency trading. So I suspect what will be happening in the current scenario is he's probably making more money from, you know, the uncertainty in the world economy right now. And so I just, whilst I think footballers make themselves an easy target sometimes, you know, they if the footballers take a pay cut, how do they know that that money isn't going to just go into their owner's pocket is one. But also, I think you can't look at football as in isolation. It's not fair. You have to look at the owners of these clubs and you have to look at other people within society. And I think the only we all if we were in a different society and we had a different um, socioeconomical political system, then we might all be able to work together a bit better and everybody can, you know, sort of take some of the load. And I think that then, you know, less, less people would be completely screwed by what's happening, but that's not going to happen. We know, we know Mm. the people at the top are going to probably get richer and there'll be more billionaires and the people at the bottom will lose jobs and struggle to make ends meet. On the footballers, um, that they, they're in a weird position because everybody knows exactly what they get paid. I couldn't tell you what a doctor gets paid or what a guy who owns six businesses gets paid or whatever. But every week, as soon as Marcus Rashford signs a new contract, they go, Oh, 200 grand a week for Marcus Rashford. And it's in the papers and everyone talks about it on the radio and everyone knows exactly what they get paid. And it's always done as a, 
weekly amounts. So it always sounds astronomically huge. Um, when some people earn three or four million pounds a year, it actually doesn't sound as much. But that is 60 grand a week or whatever that is, is, is a lot of money. And so I think players are in this unfortunate scenario where they're, what they get paid is really public. And what isn't made public is any good work that they do day to day as human beings. And a lot of footballers out there do put, and we've talked about it before in the shed, do put effort into either sending money back to communities that they've come from or working with their local community, talking with Marcus Rashford. He's a big advocate for the school meals thing in, in Manchester, making sure kids who can't afford um, dinner get school meals. And he's made a point of carrying that on through this um, crisis. And none of that gets talked about. What gets talked about is, oh, he's 22 and he's young and he's stupid and he plays football. He just runs around for an hour and a half and he gets paid 100 grand a week. And that really frustrates me because I think players get bad rap and it should be the owners. Um, and people like the head of PFA, Gordon Taylor, who gets two million a year, who's going, no, I'm not taking any pay cut. And he's the highest paid union leader in the planet um, and is not showing any leadership or doing anything with his money, but everyone's blaming the footballers. And that just frustrates me. Yeah. I mean, and they pay tax. Yeah, I'm sorry, whether we agree or disagree with the system that we that we live in, that we voted for, these these people, everyone pays tax and then your government looks after the country. I know that sounds like a really naive way of looking at it, but if they get paid 200 grand a week, 50% of that is tax. £100,000 a week Marcus Rashford pays into the government. Why should he then pay another £30,000 into the government? And if that £30,000... He would have spent, you know, on a bespoke charity. You know, I was reading a story this week about Richarlison sending money back to Brazil, to his local community that he grew up in, to help some of those kids, right? So if he was docked 30% of his wages, to, as you say, Roger, to not know where it's going to go, to not know whose pocket it's going to fill or how it's going to be spent, when he knows he's sending his £30,000 a week back to Brazil, you know, why would he turn around and go, yeah, fine, you can take control of my charitable work because I actually want, I want my money to go over there, please. We live in a world where you pay tax and then you rely on the people you pay tax to to, to then look after the basic needs of that population. Well, what now, percentage of those 2,000 billionaires do you think pay tax though, Jeff? Exactly right. And they certainly don't pay the 50% tax that you pay when you get you know, a footballer's salary in the UK. So, they're, And they're the people who are calling for footballers to, to, to take a cut. I just think that, you know, John, you're right. It's shit that everyone knows how much they get paid. And because of that, everyone thinks it's obscene. But you don't get a surgeon who's on £150,000 a week working for the NHS. No one's going up to him and going, well, you can see that we need more respirators. Why aren't you buying them? No one says that to the surgeon. He's just doing his job. I, I do think the, the whole situation is completely fucked. It's, it's even a conversation. It shouldn't be a conversation. Rog, you're right. It's a smokescreen. Well, I, but, but I do... It, it, they, it is hard, though, because they do get paid an obscene amount of money to provide essentially entertainment now i know so i think mariah carey yeah but i think i mean you use a surgeon i would argue that that surgeon is saving people's lives which perhaps you know i'm happy to remunerate people fairly well where they're making life and death decisions. marcus rashford has saved my life three or four times this year (laughs) (laughs) as a main fan but i do but i think god has it john 
<laughs> but no, I agree. I think a lot of it is just that uh, the only thing I was waiting for this week was some comment on Raheem Sterling, and I'm sure it will happen. You know, mm. it's coming that some, you know, one of the tabloids or somewhere someone will pick up something that Sterling's not doing or getting paid, you know, getting paid too much, or it's it was predictable. Um, let's go. Let's have a look at the Liverpool scenario. So, owners are dicks. Footballers are less so dicks. Um, and have been given a bit of a hard time, I think. I think we kind of agree with that. And they're working out ways to sort it all out, to sort out what they're going to do in this scenario. Liverpool made one of the biggest errors they've ever made this week by applying for the furlough scheme. Um, and then they went back on it and went, oh, sorry, we made an error. I have to say, as a Man United fan, I have huge respect for when a company of that size and a football club of that size can go, oh, crap, we made an error. And what they did is they listened to their supporters who went, what are you doing? And they went, oh, yeah, sorry. In this scenario, if you're looking at Spurs and Joe Lewis, who's this mysterious man who makes money living in the Bahamas, um, and Daniel Levy, and Spurs have gone, they're going to apply for furlough, and all the Spurs fans are going, stop it, don't do it, and they're not listening I, I just that's highlighted to me two clubs that in the future I'm going to enjoy watching Liverpool and I'm going to give Spurs more of a shit time. But even Mike Ashley, it's like Mike Ashley has got away with it because everybody knows he's a cunt. But yeah. he's still he's he is worth the same amount of money as the Liverpool owners. He does not need to be furloughing his staff when he's got three three billion in his pocket. Like it's. I just think that's a disgrace. He's putting his hand out for money from the government when he's worth three billion quid. I think that is a disgrace, but it's getting no publicity because it's Mike Ashley, and we all and we all know it's the case. I don't know. My um, sorry if like this might be a very un um, unpopular opinion, but the, if if companies with rich owners were exempt from the furlough scheme, then the government would have made them exempt. We, we don't look at the bloke who owns Tesco's and go, oh, well, come on, mate. Why aren't you paying for all your casuals to, to have a salary? You've got loads of money. Why is football any different? No, but that's that's the point, though, Jeff. The Tesco's it doesn't make it right, though. Yeah, it should be. It doesn't be make it right. I'm, I'm saying it doesn't make it right, yeah. but why are we, just like we just focused on players and we agreed that actually it's not fair to isolate them, why are we looking at a company that we've, I'm going to say company because that's what we're talking yeah. about, that we have agreed basically earns the same amount of money as a massive Tesco's Express. Why are we saying that because you have rich owners, you can't apply for a government uh, scheme that will keep more people employed that the government have made available to companies your size? Why, because you have a rich owner, are you not eligible for it? Why has it got to come from the pocket to someone who has supposedly already paid tax on their income? It's already gone to the government. So, you know... Because they can afford why are we it. Looking at the, why are we looking at the manager of, uh, I don't know, like, like pick anything. Pick yeah, any... British Airways. British Airways or American Airlines or Air Canada. Why aren't we looking at the, the CEO of Air Canada going, well, you're a rich bastard. Why aren't you paying for your staff? We're not. They're going for a government handout. No, we're not. We're not complaining in the same way. Going well, that's not fair. That's not well. Fair. But I think Jeff, some of those things you're comparing with then the numbers of people employed are significantly different to a football club as well. Like fewer people at a football club. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Which means it's, it's less of a burden on the government. No, 
Well, yeah, but it should be less of a burden but, on a but it, but it also should be less of a burden on the rich owner, and it's going to have you know. Whereas if you're talking about like a industry, you know, you're talking about British Airways or something like that, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of people. That yeah, but my be point affected. is, that there's an emotional reaction to Liverpool doing it, and I get it because of the community and kind of social feel that you have and connection you have to your football club. Don't get me wrong, I understand the reaction. Well, Shankly was a, was very much a socialist and, you know, Liverpool still base their culture so much around that man. And so I think that's part of it as well. It just flies in the face as what of everything that Liverpool Liverpool fans believe they stand for. So I yeah. think that, that was why it's got a lot of focus. But, but it's got a lot of focus because people view football differently. Uh, football fans view football differently. We view it as something that talks to us. It's emotional. It's something that gets you away from the real world. It's not a business. It's a football club. And we, and we going... argue all the time. But why do we... Like, my question is... Not even my question, my comment. It's not different. It's the same as any other company. And we do not question who owns any of those companies and whether they can afford to pay out of their own money for the people who they're laying off. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I suppose I am. Because I don't... I, as I said, I don't think anyone should own a billion dollars. Well, I'm not saying I, right. I'm not saying I, I, I'm saying that there shouldn't be a difference. It should be the same. But to Roger's point earlier about Mike Ashley, we don't care about Newcastle because we already know Mike Ashley's a dick. We look at Liverpool or Spurs to a lesser extent, maybe, and go, "Oh, they're a nice football club, and we they play good football." We look at Mike Ashley, and we know he doesn't care about football. He looks at it as a business. He looks at it as just how do we stay in the Premier League if we get relegated. Three years out of five, that's fine. But as long as we come straight back up and he just looks at the bottom line, doesn't care. And we all know that. And because we all know that, we're not upset by it. And I guess that's why we're not upset by a British Airways or a Costa Coffee or a Tesco's or whatever. Whereas we do hold football clubs as this kind of bastion of our community, of something that we care about, that we invest in, that's something that is part of us. And... um when they let us down, we get upset by it. Well, it's a, but what I, was, I guess I agree with everything you said. Don't get me wrong. And, I, and I'm, I'm not even playing devil's advocate because there's logic to it. It's, I'm not even just arguing for the sake of it. There is an emotional response we have when a football club does it way beyond any other corporation that does it. But essentially, the government is at fault here, not Liverpool. Let's move on. Distinction that should have been made. It should have been made in legislation. It should not be the choice of the football club to distinguish themselves differently than any other company. If they're eligible for it, they're owed it. Yeah, fair enough. Let's move on to other coronavirus news that's actually happening in football. (laughs) More coronavirus. Um, The transfer window has been moved. So the transfer window has been moved to September and possibly later. But UEFA have come out and said that, yes, we're happy for you to move your transfer window to September and 30th of June contracts can go on longer, but they're not sure how much longer. So has, have they just created a clusterfuck what, of confusion? What else did UEFA say? Can I? Because I just, uh, what was the league? Was it Bel- Belgian league? So the Belgian league to called at the end and went, we're over and... Uh, I can't remember. Who was top of the league? Bruges? Bruges, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Club Bruges, so they're now champions. But UEFA came out and said that we have the right to decide you can't enter next year's UEFA competitions if you chose to finish the league early. If you chose to go, yeah, this is it. Um, You have to have 
After the fact, of course. Yes. Yeah. But so they're very much pushing for leagues to be finished, even if it's late. Yeah. I think their dream scenario is we just keep going until whenever we have to to get them done. Sorry, but remember, I think I had a rant a few weeks ago about all of this wasted energy that we're putting into this stuff. That all of the meetings that must have gone, must have taken place to decide when they're moving the transfer window to. What is the point in that? Like, yeah. No one knows anything about anything. And even if we get to a transfer window, how much money's in the in the pot? Nothing. No one's going to spend anything. Like, fuck. They just, they just want to. Pull. But you can't stop. I mean, if you look at what you're doing, Jeff, you know, it just apply it to your work. You know, you're looking at contingencies and trying to work out what's going to happen when things do go remotely back to normal and you know just you can't you can't stop and i guess that's what they're doing as well they're trying to just um keep keep going in whatever way they can in in anticipation that things will get better but two weeks ago we were listening to people on the radio going oh yeah i think we'll be back by the 30th of april like yeah we should be able to play then and then we'll get it all done it'll just be a month late and it will be fine there's no way we're going to play before june there's, there's yeah, not, no way. No, no. Uh, I'm transfer rumors now, and I'm just, I'm just thinking, fucking hell! Like, no one's buying a player now. I'd take June at the moment. I think. Yeah, yeah, oh, hell yeah. Um, in a bit of sad news, Pep Guardiola's mum died um, from coronavirus, yeah. which I, I've not met Pep's mum, so I can't say I'm personally. <laughs> um, I think it's just it, it just highlighted that how sad it is when because Pep's stuck. In Manchester, he can't go and visit his mum. I think that's just a real horrible thing about this thing at the moment is that people are dying, that's bad, but also not be able to say goodbye or be able to go to a funeral and all that stuff, I think it's really, really difficult. So, yeah, I just, yeah, anyone who's going through that right now, I really feel for him because that's really harsh. Yeah. Um, and in Germany, going from one story to a different story, they've gone back to trading. I saw this, but I'm Munich for training. In small yeah. groups or something, is it? Or Yeah, so basically they train in groups of five um, and they're not allowed to go within 1.5 metres of each other. And they do their training session in those groups. And so they do lots of pass and move or exercises or whatever, but they just want us to be kicking the ball. I understand why they want to go back, but it's dumb as fuck because... Everyone just looks at football clubs and goes, "Oh, I'll do what a football club does." So it makes me go, "We go down the park at the weekend and kick the footy around," and which we're not meant to be doing. Yeah, Germany's being pretty hard hit by this too. So it's not like they are—they're not Norway. Do you know what I mean they've not come out the other side already? Going, you know, we, we, we can we can nail this. They've probably fixed it though, haven't they? Like Germany are usually pretty good with everything yeah, and they'll they'll be ahead of the curve yeah they're probably probably done aren't they <laughs> <laughs> solved it like new zealand new zealand's the same i was reading today all done so yeah <laughs> new zealand are the best yeah, they, they just get shit done um, <laughs> um has anyone got any size stories i've got a couple yeah i've got a i've got a um coronavirus orientated story it's also a bit sad but perhaps a bit overlooked Okay, that, go on. Uh, if we don't get to finish this season. So, um, top of the Premier League goal scoring charts at the moment. Jamie Vardy? Jamie Vardy. Now, if Jamie Vardy 
were to finish the top goal scorer in the league, he I'd would make be 150 the... bucks. Oh, there you go. That's pretty so good. He good. would be the oldest top goal scorer in the prem in the top tier of English football since 1948. Wow. Ronnie wow. Ronnie Rook who scored 33 goals and turned 37 halfway through the year. But it's it's remarkable. Like, it's actually, when I was looking at this, it's way less than you think. It is very rare that a player over 30 has topped the goal-scoring charts since 1948. Like most of them tend to be in their mid-20s. I don't know if Shearer did when he was, when he was over 30, but Vardy will be 33 and a half. Um, or would have been at the at the season's end date. So I think, it, you know, looking at that history, you would say that is a really significant achievement mm. if Vardy could get that. Um, and I kind of, I'd like him to, I think, particularly what's happened with Vardy in the last few years, and it just would continue that sort of Leicester romance a bit. So I, I think that would be a bit sad if we lose that from this year. Yeah, I, I think... Jamie Vardy kind of went off the boil for a bit. And then since Brendan Rodgers came back in, he's suddenly back to old school Jamie Vardy. And um, he's brilliant. I love him. He's a massive chav. But he's great. Oh, and apparently he, you know, he had the Baron Spatch, Baron Spatch, Baron Patch this year. Yeah. So he was going, I think he got, what, 17 goals in first 15 games or something and then didn't score for a while. He the fitness person had got him to um, stop drinking Red Bull and um, eating burgers or whatever his standard routine is. And and then just before the break, he scored a couple of goals and he was apparently he was back on the Red Bulls. (laughs) So that's his secret. Love it. Just let him do it. (laughs) Just let him do it. Yeah. Did you see that? Do you remember when the biggest scandal in football was bribery? I I saw this, Jeff. This is on my list too. I've seen this, so I'm finally, finally, about fucking time, the US Department of Justice confirmed that the Qatar and the Russian World Cups were won through bribery. Oh, they, they've, 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 it's not been proven yet. They've, they've just, laid charges. They've yeah. finally laid charges, which is significant because it's huge. Yeah, huge news. Um, now they, I just want to read you a few quotes. Although two that. of the people were dead, aren't they? Is Jack Warner dead or is he already in jail? At least one of them's dead. Well, let me, let me get to two of the people that I want to highlight after after these quotes from the Department of Justice. But um so quotes in the in the writ, is that what you call it when you when you is it a writ? What is it? A writ? Sure. Writ. writ. The yeah. filing, the filing, court filing. The profiteering and bribery in international soccer has been deep-seated and commonly known practice for decades. The defendants and the co-conspirators corrupted the governance and business of international soccer with bribes, kickbacks, and engaged in criminal fraudulent schemes that caused significant harm to the sport of soccer. Their schemes included the use of shell companies, sham consulting contracts, and other concealment methods to disguise the bribes and kickback payments to make them all appear legitimate. This was all to vote Qatar and Russia in. Now, we've already had Russia, but yet still Qatar is on the footballing radar. Now, I just want to highlight two people who these charges have been laid against. So, Nasser, pardon me, Nasser Al-Khalifi. Do you recognise the name? He's the, is he Qatari guy? Yeah. Currently on the board of which European super club? PSG. PSG, currently on the board of which European football governing body? UEFA. UEFA. 
UEFA. <laughs> Alexi Skorin. Alexi Skorin was the um, uh, the head of the Russian World Cup organising committee. Guess which board he sits on? Oh. FIFA. UEFA. <laughs> how good is that? So two. I say how good is that? I mean, it's a, it's seedy horror. <laughs> but two of the current UEFA board members, who are the ones who are who are pursuing the thing against Manchester City for being corrupt, uh, are actually now under criminal investigation by the Department of Justice, and they have had files charges against them for bribery to win those World Cups. What do you think should happen to Qatar? Well, that's going to. I mean, they, so one of the things that hasn't come out yet is who. Who is at the end of the bit of string? You know, who, so who's uh, a lot of these people are middlemen getting paid off and distributing money, but who is actually? Because I would imagine that for something to happen to Qatar, they would need to trace it back. They need to trace the money or the activities back to Qatar. Now, we all know that's where it's come from, but there would need to be evidence of that. And if Oh, do they really want that to happen at this point? Not, I don't know you, if they do. You do not press charges against these type of people unless you have evidence. You just yeah, don't. Especially in America. So, you, what do you, you do? You, do you think that Qatar are at risk of losing the World Cup? Well, I don't think they'll lose it. I just can't see it. That's it. Let's talk about the mechanism. How do you lose a World Cup? You lose a World Cup because FIFA take it away from you. Okay, well, how? what are FIFA? Are they, are they a robust organisation? Kind-hearted, generous people? Like, fuck. They, they are where this whole thing no, started. Seth Blatter so. leaves in disgrace and hands over the baton to a guy that lives in the next village to him That's in it. Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> Should go and live in that village. Maybe I can be in charge of FIFA. Yeah. You have more money than you have now, John. That's a fact. Yeah, it's true. Um, I've got a couple of other side stories. Uh did everyone see that Son is going to do his military service? Oh, yeah. Third striker Son, because he's going to do his military service and then won the Olympics? No, the Asia Games. And so they let him off. Um, but you still have to do it at least four weeks. And so he's decided to go and do it now whilst he can't play football, which seems quite smart. So he's going to do his military service. Um, and I also saw that Diego Jota uh, of Wolves' Roger Fame who I think is a bit shit. Um, but he's <laughs> <laughs> he's filling his time by playing football manager and is manager of Telford and has made really? it to year Yeah, he's made it to year 2029. I think they're in the championship as manager of Telford, which wow. I kind of enjoy that that's, that's the club he chose. Can why I, did he, uh, any reason why he chose Telford? No, I didn't say. Oh, there you go. Just pick one. <laughs> And can um, I ask you if you've heard of someone? Have you heard of um, Jonathan Biabini? No. Jonathan Biabini, born in 1988, so he's probably 30, 32, 33. His Wikipedia says he is one of the fastest footballers in the world, known for his great acceleration and pace, both with and without the ball. Um, the reason why he popped up in, in my world is his transfer history. Now, do you know anything about this? Anyone know anything about this? No. So in 2004, he signs for Inter. Then Inter in Milan. 2009, uh, th- has a couple of loan spells away from Inter. What were you reading to get onto this? Sorry, is it? What's the context? Or I'm just... just telling you about this bloke. Okay. Do you, do you want to know? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I yeah, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Bibini? B-I-A-B-I-A-N-Y. Biabini. 
Oh yeah. From... Oh no, I know. Yeah, I know him. Where's he, he from? Okay, at Inter. Yeah, there from we go. A little bit. Yeah, there I've heard is. him. Where's he from in the world? Uh, France. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Right. Carry on. Anyway, um, in- so in 2004 Inter. he signed for Inter. Did it had a couple of loan spells away from Inter. The 2009 signed for Parma on loan. 2010 he signed for Parma full time. But at the end of 2010, he did so well, he signed back for Inter. 2011, he having not done so well at Inter, he signed for Parma. Had a couple of loan spells away from Parma. Had a great year. 2015, he signed for Inter. <laughs> what? <laughs> at the end of a few loan spells, having performed poorly for Inter, in 2018, signs for Parma on loan. <laughs> My only question in this is... is George Mendes involved somewhere. <laughs> Outrageous career. Um, however, he is one of the fastest footballers in the world, known for great wow. inspiration. There you go. Um, I've got another side story about a guy called Fedor Smolov, uh, who is a Russian midfielder. Yeah, yeah it rings a bell. He plays for Celta Vigo. Um, and he has basically been told off by Celta Vigo recently because he defied instructions not to leave the country um, during coronavirus because he wanted to go and visit his fiance, fiance. Yeah. in Russia. Uh, Smolov is 30. He was going to his fiance's birthday party. It was her 18th birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's weird, isn't it? That's weird. Uh, Have you seen a photo of him? He looks looks a bit grotty. Where is he from? He's from Russia. Russia. I wasn't wasn't paying attention at all, John, until I heard the the Pope's not paying attention. Having been been to Russia, we came up with a... it's, It's very common that you see this. Just the most horrendously ugly... They, like I'm generalizing massively, and I'm yeah, really, so, I'm really sorry to any Russian listeners, but it just seemed from my time <laughs> spent in the country that generally the men that you see are pretty ugly, but <laughs> the majority of uh, women are are certainly not. They're they're gorgeous, and so we came up with a phrase for it as we were traveling around Russia of punchy, as in. Um, well, there's another punchy, as in punching above their weight, because it was such a common thing to see. But then well, he's 30 and she's 18. Yeah, that's not is... punching above your weight. That's no, punching... that's just weird. That's just gross, yeah. <laughs> but also, what made it really interesting, the 18-year-old um, is the granddaughter of Boris Yeltsin. Oh, oh. yeah, I did see this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's such that, a Russian. It is. It's so Russian. Oh, yeah. that is gross. <laughs> Um, does anyone else have any? Oh, I've, got, I've got one more side story, actually. If anyone else has got any others? No. Go on then, John. Um, my last one is about Yusufa Mukuku. Have you heard of Yusufa Mukuku? Related to Tom Tonzolo? No, no relation to <laughs> Tom Tonzolo Mukuku from football manager fame. Uh, he's a Borussia Dortmund striker. You know, Dortmund have got like Jaden Sancho and Haaland mm. up front and stuff. Well, this guy's 15. Um, and the Bundesliga have just changed the rules on the age for people being allowed to play in the Bundesliga. They've, it used to be 16, but they've changed it now to, I think, 15-year-olds can play. He's scored 34 goals in 20 games for the under-19s, providing nine assists. 
Um, he scored 50 league goals for the under-17s last year, which is a German record. Whoa. And his 34 goals for under-19s this season is also an all-time high. And they've still got six games to go. Wow. So this guy is good. Is he German? He's German Cameroonian. Bloody so hell. I think he was born in Cameroon <laughs> um, and then moved to Germany quite young. Um, but yeah, so basically Dortmund have got the next superstar striker. Look out for this, Again, look out thought, for this kid. I, I thought Haaland was the next superstar oh, no, striker. They, they can sell Haaland for 100 million next year and just go, oh, we've got another guy. It's all right. Yeah, great. Um, right, is it time for Endgame? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Pumped. So, Jeff won last week. So, the scores are Roger 9, me 7, Jeff 7, which means that uh, Jeff and I are gaining on you, Rog. A bit of a lean spell. Coming like to get it. you. And in reality, because the world we live in now, the season's never going to end. It's going to go on forever. So, we could, we've got plenty of time to catch you. Can I just say, Rog, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone call you lean. <laughs> well, I, I said it. <laughs> okay. Not, nobody even said, called me lean. I said it myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what we're looking at, what we're looking oh, yeah. at here, you both ready? Yep. 2006. Oh, World Cup year. Now, I've gone for... What is my all-time favourite FA Cup final? I can't even remember what we get. Well, you're going to tell me anyway, so that's okay. good because I'm going to tell you. This was Liverpool West Ham. The score oh, yeah. was three-three. Managers were Alan Pardew and Rafa Benitez. Okay. The game eventually went to penalties. Two thousand and six. Um, Two thousand six FA Cup final. It was Alan Pardew's West Ham, and Rafa Benitez's Liverpool. And who gets to go first? Who won last week? Me. Who lost? Me. Rog did. So Rog goes first. Oh Jesus! Um, Two thousand six FA Cup final. Liverpool West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> Raining. No, it wasn't. It was sunny that day. Uh, Steven Gerrard. Steven Gerrard, correct. Scored a 93rd minute equaliser from about 40 yards. Yeah, I remember that goal. That's why. Bottom corner. Jamie Carragher. Jamie Carragher. Jamie Carragher plays centre back. Um. West Ham team, 2006. I've got to say, it is a good West Ham team. It, one of my favourite strikers played up front for uh, West Ham this year. No clues, Jeff, no clues. Sorry. John Arnarisa. John Arnarisa, left back, Liverpool, started. Uh, Pepe Reina. Pepe Reina, starting goal, ahead of Jersey Dudek. Jersey Dudek. <laughs> um, would have been up front in 2006. This is great, Rog, just to mumble to yourself. It's really yeah, good. sorry. Who would have played in 2006? Like- it's a long, long time. I'm caught between two Liverpool players 
generations here. Yeah, about in this one. four years, 14 years ago, not four years ago. Um, no West Ham players yet? No, it's too early for... Is it too early for... Come on, Rog. Come on, Rog. Um... Oh, I'm a bit of a loss. Oh, come on. There's Vladimir Schmitzer. Vladimir Schmitzer did not play. Ah. Was he on the bench? Was not on the bench. John. I've still got to get one right. Yep. Well, my next one was Steve Finnan. Steve Finnan. Right back. Oh, yeah, fuck. Ah, oh, he'd gone to Fulham by then, hadn't he? No, no, obviously not. He was playing the FA Cup final. Steve Finnan, what a great player Steve Finnan was! Hell yeah. Um, okay, Morellis was Morellis playing in this game? It's over, Rog. It's over. Rafa and Morellis. Um, okay, so in goal, Pepe Reina. You got the Bloody whole hell. back line apart from Sammy Hoopier. Ah, oh, Hoopier. Yeah, I had Hoopier on the left oh. wing. Harry Kuehl. Oh. Two centre midfields of Sissoko and Alonso. Alonso. Yeah. Steven Gerrard started this game on the right, playing great balls into the tall head of Peter Crouch, knocking him on to dribble Cissé. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't. Oh, this is a blank for me this, this year, 2006. Oh, but the West Ham side was, in my probably one of the best West Ham sides of our generation. Payette. Uh, uh, no, Roger. Where no, are you? No, Payette. Payette? Payette? Like 2013. 2006. Yeah. Who's West Ham 2006? Well, I'm about to tell you, Roger. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Stop talking. Come on then. Um, up front, Dean Ashton and Marlon Harewood. Yeah, I've got Ashton. Dean Ashton was phenomenal. Uh, on the ring, Matty Edrington. Oh, uh, Fletcher, Nigel Rio Coker, and Yossi Benayoun. Uh, set the backs. Daniel Gambadon and Anton Ferdinand. Uh, Konchesky on the left and Scalani on the right. That is one oh, of the most underwhelming FA Cup final teams in the history of the FA Cup. What a game. 3-3. Three, three. West that, Ham had it. That is a terrible West Ham team. No, and Shaka Hislop was a superhero. I used to love Shaka Hislop. Yeah, I love, I love Shaka, but Who's other known? than that. Do you know who came on on the 85th minute for West Ham? Uh, Teddy Sheringham. Teddy Sheringham. Oh, Teddy Sheringham. Five-year-old Teddy. Since two thousand six, I was like, I, I was like, is that the Schmitzer and Patrick Berger, or is that that was longer ago? I was um, sort uh, of in that's that. That's like two thousand one when the Gary yeah. McAllister were playing and they won the yeah. yeah. Wrong generation, Rog. There you go. So that means that Roger on nine points. I'm on eight points. And Jeff's on seven points, and I'll be games master next week. Um, but it's getting close, Rog. Your lead is getting eaten away. Yeah, I'm just, you know, keeping it interesting, keeping the uh, community engaged. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, great to be back in the shed. Is, yeah. Has anyone got anything before we go? No. Uh, will I be in it? Yeah, I'll be here next week. Yeah, well, Rog, yeah, hopefully you'll be here next week. If you're not, hope. Baby delivery goes normally and healthily. <laughs> <laughs> I think like Uber, John, they just charge you five bucks, it turns up on your doorstep. 
Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> Aren't stalks um, involved somewhere? Yes. But we will be back next week. Um, we maybe do uh, a game of some kind. I do. I, I have actually a quiz lined up that we can maybe do next week um, that we can sort out. Um, or we might do another 11. But uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in contact, ask us questions, tell us we're wrong about something. Um, just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. See ya. Yeah.